Hear now the word of the Lord from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have uh, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, jumping to John chapter 9, starting in verse 35, and just to kind of bring you up, uh, this is the story where we're kind of middle, even toward the end in John 9, of the story where you remember there was a man who had been born blind, and Jesus took some mud and rubbed it in his eyes and had him go wash it out, and then there was some trouble that the man experienced with some of the religious authorities. But here, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but here Jesus is interacting with this man after the healing. Speaking about the man, it says that Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see your guilt remains. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help in these next few minutes. Lord, what rich, fertile passages that are there for us to have our faith like seeds incubated and grown. And yet, unless your Holy Spirit rains down upon us, we will just come in like we left. And we don't want that. So would you take these passages, use me, a broken reed, a hollow vessel, to nonetheless stand here this morning by your power, not my authority, your authority, your strength, your Holy Spirit, to speak, to pastor, to shepherd, to teach, 
that what might be built into us would be of you, would be heaven sent, would be spirit filled and help us to be godly, to help us to be faithful, to help us to encounter you as you present yourself to us in worship. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. In our time, in our place right now, in our country, we basically have a crisis of authority. Many of us don't trust the authorities who have been put in place for our good. We don't trust them to be true. We don't trust them to be just or to work for our best interests. Let me just give you one silly example. There was a well-known NBA player. I won't even mention his name especially since he doesn't play for the Blazers, um, who affirmed publicly with a growing number of others, actually, that his conviction and belief was that the earth is flat. So what's his assumption there? Our engineers, our scientists are not accurate. They are wrong. Many folks believe in Sasquatch, the Loch Ness Monster, alien UFOs. And this conviction tells us what our historians, our park rangers are wrong. They are not telling us the truth. Vaccinations that have for decades saved lives and protected millions are now rejected for alternative options. What's the assumption? Doctors and drug companies are not working for our benefit. Similarly, a friend of mine who is a physician said that he'll tell patients, look, you want to get healthier, you need to eat less. You need to exercise more. And he said almost a simple majority of them believe that when he says that to them, they think he's scamming them. That in fact, what he should be recommending to them is that they just take CBD. And that will fix them. And that doesn't even begin to cover our current state of politics. We have politicians and political parties that are seen, depending on where you sit, maybe universally, as stiff-necked liars and partisans, even more than usual in the history of our country. So just even think about our president. For many folks, if you support our president, there is nothing he could do to lose your support. But centrally, if you are against him or don't support his policies or character, there is seemingly nothing he could do in which you wouldn't interpret it as him doing harm. And whether this is a cause or a result, what this means is that we sometimes retreat into this realm of private or secret knowledge. I mentioned this last week, this, not, this idea of Gnosticism, this idea that there is a private or secret knowledge that is either earned or given that is really the truth, that gives us the right take on, the rea- on reality. And it privileges us and it secures us against the unwashed masses who are just believing what everyone else believes. Now, obviously, I just threw out a bunch of stuff, and I'm not going to unpack all of that. That's what Eric's going to do after the sermon. But I want to ask us, because we all fit somewhere on that spectrum. Why are so many of us 
so skeptical. That we have decided that perhaps alternative or hidden or private knowledge accounts for the most reliable way to order our lives for ourselves and others. Whether it's conspiracies or otherwise. Well, here's one reason, I think, or several reasons. We are convinced that there are hidden agendas at work against us, that uh, folks are operating to get something from me wrongfully. That the authorities, so-called, have purposes for us which, frankly, just seem unfathomable. I don't know how they work. I don't know why they're working. What they're trying to accomplish, their plan just seems inscrutable. I think we are also susceptible to this, and I do mean we, all of us, because we see these authorities as distant and removed from us. I mean, who are these people making decisions about our rights, our health, our truth? Are they our kind of folks or are they someone else? So we decide to seek control on our own. What's the idea? I will not be taken advantage of. I'm not going to be a stupid chump. I am not a mindless drone. I'm not a sheep. I need to be safe. I need to be right. Now, here's where it lands for us in this current crisis. This same kind of skepticism about authorities is how people very often think about religion. Think about belief in God. What we're talking about this morning And I just want to say, let's acknowledge that this skepticism about religion, about belief in God, at least from one angle, kind of makes sense. Here's why. God of Christianity, at least according to Christians, often has purposes that are unfathomable. I mean, how many times does it say in Scripture where God is saying, my ways are not like your way, says the Lord. Pretty common. It often seems that the how the events of life are connected together, or even how they quote-unquote work together for good, is not very clear or discernible. In fact, life can seem confusing, which means it seems that God's agenda is hidden and mysterious and kind of feels unsafe. And by Christian's own acknowledgement, What do we say about God? Well, we say that he is transcendent. He can't be reduced down to the stuff of creation, that he is invisible. As Jesus himself says in John chapter four, that he is a spirit. And that makes God seem remote and removed. I remember watching a a talk show with the host Bill Maher. And uh, he was telling there was actually a, a, a theologian who was on there, who he's friends with. And the theologian, not in kind of a passive aggressive way, but in a very sincere way, said, Bill, I'm going to pray for you on this. And Bill said, yeah, make sure and say hi to your friendly ghost. He just kind of meant that God is just kind of this invisible friend that isn't really there. And that's how sometimes it can seem and feel. So with a table set for us like that, when it comes to saying the creed, I believe in God, we can either escape into it Kind of like saying, well, what is one more thing like Sasquatch, like the Loch Ness Monster that I can add to the list of things that I believe but are kind of unbelievable? Or we can see, especially if we are not a Christian here this morning, that, you know what, 
The whole thing is a scam. The whole thing is a ruse. God is the great conspiracy theory. God is just this construct to get people to be docile and easily managed by those who are in control. And that's a very plausible and often uh, embraced idea. Or, and this is what I'm going to commend, we can see that belief for the Christian, the statement, I believe, said by the Christian, is not an irrational retreat. But the beginning of a series of statements when we confess the creed, which affirm this is where I find the anchor for my life. Where I find solid ground. Where I find home. To put it like C.S. Lewis does in The Weight of Glory, I believe in Christianity. As I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That is the faith that we're talking about. And so I just want to spend a few more short minutes talking about this. And when we're, look, I know this is already kind of waded into the weeds. And so what we're going to say from here on out is not going to be exhaustive. And for sure, it's not going to be formally philosophical. But since faith, belief is the mode of existence of the Christian life. And it's key for us to come to a better understanding and experience of belief in relation to Christ. I want us to just think about this, walk through this. What does it mean to believe? Especially as we say the creed. And I'm just going to highlight two things. All right. And here's the first one. First one is this. Let me get a drink of water. Because I'm going to need to be hydrated here. First one is this. Trust in God. Belief. Faith is safe. It is rational. And it is true because God's agenda is revealed in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you are here and you suspect that Christianity is a scam, and in fact, we know from the Bible, think about the passage that we read last week from Ezekiel, that religious leaders can be the worst hucksters when it comes to using religion to conceal a self-serving agenda. If that's what you believe, please listen up. Because God's motive in revealing himself, in calling us to him, is not to further his own ends. It's not so that he could get something that he needs or didn't have unless he could kind of shake us down. In fact, in Jesus, God has made known his purposes for us and shown us his agenda. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, a man named Rowan Williams, reflecting on Ephesians 1, put it like this, because of Jesus... We can now see that what God has always meant to happen is peace, and that's all the reconciliation language in that passage, and praise. And look at Ephesians real quick. Look at verses 6 and 12 and 14, because what happens, what's going on? It says, one, that he has made revealed what was formerly a mystery. And what is revealed? Well, things like adoption and redemption and to make you blameless and to make you forgiven. And then in 12, how does all that cash out? To the praise of his glory. 
In verse 6, how does it cash out? To the praise of His glorious grace. In 14, what is His revealed will? What is your function? What is it that God wants to make known? What does He want you to do? The praise of His glory. You see, this and this alone is God's agenda. You want to know what God's up to? You see, the world He has made is designed to be a reconciled world. Put it like this. God's deal is not to be eternally at odds with people in the cosmos, but instead to be friend, as Jesus taught in John 15. Instead, to be a parent, as Paul teaches in Ephesians 1, with all that he made, but most especially with those who bear his image. Here's a heart check question as you hear God's agenda. Is faith in God for you a reason to fight? A reason to argue? A reason to shame? Or does it pave the road for you to walk of peace? I am free. I am reconciled. And praise. I celebrate. This and this is God's agenda. This and this alone is God's agenda. A world in which a diversity of human communities come to share a life together because they share the conviction that God has acted to set them free. Free from what? Free from fear and free from guilt. By the way, this is only one facet that affects the whole cosmos. Look at how expansive Paul is. And think about the I, not this side, the I of I believe, the creed last week. What's the starting point? I am forgiven. I am known by God. I am made for peace and reconciliation. This and this alone is God's agenda. That this reconciliation liberates human voices for praise, for celebration, For the glory of God who made it possible. Here's another heart check question. Is celebration. Eating good food. Drinking. Whatever whatever it is you drink. Orange vanilla coke. Jameson Irish whiskey. Whatever. Is celebration a part of your family. Your congregational habit of being, part of your rituals, part of your liturgy. And liturgy is just another word for service. You see, what may have been hidden and confusing in the past was waiting until God's time was right. And it has been revealed in Jesus. And it births praise and celebration and a sense of peace. It's a little bit like this. Any of you ever watch uh, Jimmy Fallon? All right. Um, he has this thing that he does where I think in the subway that runs underneath where they film the Tonight Show, he will uh, go and just set up in this busy subway and they'll have a carpet and he'll have a band there, but it's not like a real band. It's like a guy with a upside down paint bucket and an acoustic guitar and they'll start playing. So they're busking. And people are just kind of going by, going by. You know, they're like, this is weird. This is not supposed to be here. This is kind of getting in the way. You know, New Yorkers are very busy. But then Jimmy Fallon shows up and he's dressed so that he's not recognizable. And then he brings someone famous. 
like a Christina Aguilera or a uh, Miley Cyrus or uh, whatever the guy's name is from Maroon 5. And they're dressed up too and they're unrecognizable. And initially, they, so they'll start singing in the subway. And people are still kind of busy looking at their phones going. But then they start singing. And these people are exceptional. Like, think what you will about Miley Cyrus. She has pipes. She can sing. She's amazing. She started singing Jolene by Dolly Parton. And you better be good if you're going to sing a Dolly Parton song, even close to as good as Dolly. And so she's dressed up. You can't tell who it is. But all of a sudden, all the busyness kind of comes to a stop. And people don't know who this is. They just start listening because she's just wailing Jolene. And they're like, yeah, this is pretty good. Who are these people? And then Jimmy takes off his mask and what he's wearing. And she does. And then everyone just freaks out. They lose their mind. They just cannot believe that this is what's happening. And then she sings Party in the USA. And everyone is just like, yes, this makes sense now. Everything that had seemed like it was chaos and didn't make, make sense, all of a sudden made sense. We have a little taste of glory here. That's the same kind of thing that we're talking about. What has been revealed? Beauty. Power. What is the response of the people on the subway? What is even more our response? Praise. Sense of peace. God has come in. Well, that's the first thing we're talking about. But the second thing as we talk about belief is this. That belief is not simply affirming some remote facts. But in fact is trust and refuge in the person of Jesus. Belief is trust and refuge in the person of Jesus. So much of how we talk about Christianity is, in my opinion anyway, tied up too much in the language of ideas, right and wrong. So we set the stage to be combative or defensive instead of resting in Christ, receiving his light, receiving his power, receiving and bearing witness to his emboldening love. Because here's the thing, truth for Christianity is not something that is static and out there. Truth is a person. In fact, if we were going to get to this part of the creed, we would talk about how Jesus reveals God sufficiently to us. That the revealed agenda of God is a human who gives life, who gives forgiveness, who shows us God's character. So belief in truth, the person of Jesus, is not going to look so much like getting this piece of information right. As much as it's going to be an act of trust and commitment and confidence. Resting and receiving in God himself. You know, Buddhists... Um, interestingly, they talk about taking refuge in the Buddha, which uh, honestly is language I like. And it exactly actually gets at the sentiment of trust in Christ. And frankly, it's better applied to Jesus because Buddha for Buddhists can only be an example. But Jesus, he's not just an example. He gives us his very life. We share in that life and that power by the spirit. Refuge, what, what does that look like? Well, remember in Exodus, Moses took refuge. He literally just kind of folded himself in, tucked himself into the crook of a rock when God passed by. Now, he had to hide. Why? Just to be close to God. But in Jesus, we don't escape from God's pre- presence by refuge in a rock. 
But we escape into the presence of God, which is Jesus himself. He secures us. He hides us from what? The power of sin, the finality of death, the influence and power of the devil. What else do we mean by refuge in Christ? Well, it's something like this. And this is where we get to John 9. Remember, this is where the blind man was healed by Jesus. He had actually something of a tough time with the organized religion of his day. Same religion as Jesus, by the way. He had been born blind. Jesus healed him with the mud in the eye. And then it says the Jews. Just let me do a quick aside on this. Anytime in John when you read Jews, just think religious teachers, pastors, Sunday school teachers or whatever. It was not a racial or ethnic thing that they were getting at. It was really more of a religious thing. And so these religious teachers didn't accept that Jesus has healed the man. And they asked him very barbed, kind of stinky questions. To shame him, to scorn him, to trick him, to humiliate him. Did the same thing to his parents. Parents just kind of backed away. Then they did it to the man himself. Why they did this, the text tells us in John 9, 22, that these teachers had agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Now look, there's actually two streams that are converging of what we've been talking about this whole time this morning. One, the religious leaders have a hidden agenda that actually ends up manipulating the guy who needed and then got healing. They were working against him. They didn't have his best interests at heart. They, they really did have an agenda. So look, Jesus understands your cynicism about bad agendas and bad actors in religion. He's opposed to it. He was killed for opposing it. But he rose again to overcome it. And here's the second thing, and this is really the most important. Jesus finds the healed man, and he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, what is he not saying? Hey, dude, do you think I exist? (laughs) He knows he exists. He's saying, do you trust me? Have you now put all of your emotional and spiritual weight on me? Am I your harbor from the storm of circumstances? Circumstances like a very funky family situation, which he had here in the situation. Circumstances like religious oppression, which he had there. Circumstances like physical problems. Being blind would count. Problems, circumstances like sin. Am I the one you look to, Jesus is saying, for peace and praise? Well, what's the response of the dude? The man who was healed. Verse 38 says he praised him. What did belief look like? He worshiped him. He's like, I'm all in with you, Jesus. You are reliable. You are there for me. And he had peace. The kingdom had come and planted itself in his heart. Because even though he had been rejected by his religious community, even though he had been the victim of a real conspiracy, Maybe even scorned by his family. He sees. And not just physically, which is awesome. But the man sees himself as one who has been encountered by Christ in a way that he couldn't manufacture. He couldn't make up. His deepest need of guilt had been removed. And this is what Jesus points out as the most important thing about this whole episode in verse 41. So here's a question. 
do you believe? Have you found, like this guy, refuge in Christ? Because you have been healed at the very core of your soul. Because you have been forgiven. Because God has responded to your cry. Don't just leave today, whether you're a Christian or not, with maybe a better understanding about these passages, this theology, and not receive Him, and not rest in Him, and not take refuge in Him. He has made you to know Him. He wants to know you. He has made you to trust Him and to see the world as His world. Made for reconciliation. And you are a part. Man, he's calling you right now to respond. To by his light, see light. Let's pray and ask for his help.